reality that was given to us, very much divinely so, we found this out at 20 weeks. We had developed a very intimate relationship with our baby boy. We had seen multiple ultrasounds, Doppler heartbeats at the house, and feel big old belly. You could feel him. At 20 weeks, it's not even something that's in consideration. It's just acceptance of this unexpected thing. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Hello, everyone. It is I and us, Mr. and Mrs. Bowditch, reporting for podcast duty. I and us. Yes. Me and we. <laughs> um, I know my calculus. Yes. It says you plus, plus me, me equals us. Equals us. Yeah. Who sang it? In together. How about that for a throwback? How about that? Yeah. I don't Found even. words by profound boy band pretend men. Yeah. Uh, pretend men. Well, they were a spoof group. Uh, oh, right? yeah. They're yeah. a parody okay. on the age of boy bands. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that. If you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. In together. Calculus. <laughs> You're in for a treat. Yeah. Um, so y'all are in for like like buckle up kind of situation here. Um, Jordan and I are back podcasting together after over a month, maybe a month and a half since recording our last show together. It's been at least a month since I recorded the last episode by myself, which was the solo show that I did announcing baby's name and giving a pregnancy update. And if you follow us on social media, then you will know that we've had a lot of updates and a lot of developments in our journey and in our story. If you do not follow us on social media, then you might be hearing this story for the first time as this podcast episode. Mm -hmm. And before we get into telling our story and just really diving into um, what we're going to talk with you about, and it may or may not wind up being more than one episode, we'll see as we go to to record this, how long it's going to be. But I just want to share that we're going to be talking about some really challenging subjects and um, and it involves loss and it involves grief and it involves heartache. And so if you are in a place in your life, especially if you're in your trying to conceive journey or you're in your pregnancy journey, then I just want to share that ahead of time that maybe this isn't the episode for you. And maybe this is, you know, wherever you're at in your journey, maybe this is exactly the episode that you need. So you listen forward with that discretion in mind. Yeah, an appropriate trigger warning, so to speak, although I kind of hate that phrase. Uh, and if you're well, here, like you're here for it, all sure, of it, I suspect. Sure. Um, but the warning, so to speak, nonetheless, is yeah. I think important. Well, I think when I think the phrase trigger warning gets used a lot for people that are insensitive and offended. Yeah. And, um, or people who are being insensitive and people who are being offended. Yeah. But there's some people that have really experienced some really, really challenging things and have experienced a lot of trauma. And so then it kind of, it softens this thing that really is supposed to be helpful for some people. And so 
Anyway, that's what we're doing here. We are going to kind of pick up where I left off in our, like I mentioned, I did a a solo episode where I announced um, and shared with all of you our baby boy's name, um, Gabriel Vincent Bowditch. And I was sharing kind of an update on pregnancy and where I was at and what I was thinking and what I was feeling. And it was incredibly well received. And so that was you know, kind of like for our podcast listeners where I, we left off. Um, shortly after I recorded that episode, um, Jordan and I had a month long trip, which I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast episode or not, but we had a month long trip planned to Zihuatanejo, Mexico. For those of you who have seen Shawshank Redemption, it's at the the very end. That's where they wind up going. You know, anyway, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil the movie for you, but it's in there. Anyway, we went to Zihuatanejo, Mexico. It's what we had planned. And we were there for, I keep just kind of phrasing it down to a work trip and a community project, which we'll get into in a little bit. And Really nothing about this trip was easy. We planned it for months and months and months. I think the better part of 10 months, we were planning this this trip with our closest friends and community. And so, like I said, shortly after I recorded the most recent solo episode, we all made our way. There were 11 of us that made our way to Zihuataneo, Mexico in this really big, would you call it a villa? I guess so. Casa? Uh, Property. Property. Casa. Yes. House in Spanish. Spanish for house. I was going to say Mexican for house. It's Spanish for house. Anyway. And so I think that it's probably best if we just kind of pick up with that um, and share what happened um, for us and, and on that trip, because for the Bowditch family, it was incredibly, insert some adjectives. It was fucking awful. Yeah. It was a roller coaster. In Mexico. <laughs> it was a roller coaster. It was filled with so many mostly downs. Yeah. I won't even say ups and downs. It had a handful of ups, but it was mostly downs. And we just foreshadowing that. are in true. Um yeah, we're we're very much in a season of grief and loss and in some ways hopelessness. <laughs> And um, this isn't going to be an easy episode, certainly for me to record, and I imagine for Jordan as well. So I'll preface and I'll share, you know, for you guys that have been listening for a long time, you won't be like me tearing up and getting emotional on a podcast isn't going to be new to you, Uh, but this one's probably going to be another level. So yeah, let's go ahead and, and share. And, you know, I think I'll also just throw out that we don't share because especially this kind of stuff, it's not just because we want all of our business all out in the open and we don't share from an egotistical place or anything like that. We've chosen, we chose a long time ago to live our lives and our love and our relationship and our journey out loud and, and make it available for all of you to see. And we're committed, you know, we're committed to doing that. And I didn't commit to only showing you the highlight reel and telling you the highlight reel and showcasing when we're on our up versus when we're, you know, in our down. And so I think more than anything, it's weird not to share at this point with how we show up online and everything. And so 
more than anything, I think we tell our story so that other people cannot feel alone, um, especially when it's in seasons of down. Yeah. Do you have anything yeah. you want to share with that? Um, our business and personal lives are very intertwined and more or less by design. You know, like I, a handful of months ago, hosted my one-on-one clients at our house. They stayed at our home, <laughs> you know, for a long weekend. And it is amazing and beautiful and we would have it no other way. And there's challenges with it where, you know, as we've been in the season, it's been really challenging to compartmentalize and show up for work, especially without sharing what's going on. And so we've, it's just, it was like a bottleneck of sorts for me. It's like, I can't really go on business as usual and just, you know, post about the things I'm up to and and promote and market things because my life is gnarly right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a part of that, a journey, that process is moving the energy, I guess you could say. Yeah. And we often have a lot of clients at one time as well. And then our extended community that, you know, is on all the various platforms and a lot of people we know in person um, and a lot of people that we've gotten connected with and close through, you know, knowing them virtually. And then of course the sea of extended community as well. And it's like, you know, if all of a sudden we go quiet and then what they saw three weeks ago, and then all of a sudden we're back and things are drastically different and we don't say anything. <laughs> it's like, huh? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Enough disclaimers. Let's yeah, get into it. Let's dig into it. So a month in Mexico was the plan. And the a little bit more of the context there is we have an ongoing project, uh, that's co-housing with our closest friends, creating kind of a dream, modern, conscious community type of experience where we buy a piece of land, we live it on together, we have our own houses, we help raise each other's kids, we share resources. And so that's you know a big undertaking that's a several year plan. And in continuing to move in that direction, we do these uh, annual, what have become annual MVPs, minimum viable products. And this was one of those. Spending a month together in Mexico, testing some of the assumptions, so to speak, of why we want to live together. And everybody came with their kids. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a really important, special, beautiful experience. And the Bowditch family was very much at the center of it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, the first weekend that we were there, so we're only there a few days uh, before hosting a retreat. So let's see, six other couples, so 12 people total, in addition to the 11 that went, joined us and we hosted a, it turned into a couple's like retreat experience that wasn't the intention initially going into it. Uh, But nonetheless, we hosted them over a weekend. And the very first night of the retreat, it was awesome. I was, I co-emceed with a close friend. And that night as we were settling back into bed, Lex and I, uh, into our our casita, Mm -hmm. I get a call from our dog sitter who somebody I don't know well, a friend of a friend, uh, but just a quirky guy who showed up so magnificently and I would have just not expected it, but he shared that our dog son, Biggie James Smalls, my 12 and a half year old pit bull had passed. And while it was not a complete and utter shock, it was shocking and a surprise for sure. He had been diagnosed with a cancerous lung tumor 
a couple of months earlier and a handful of months before that, the subtle symptoms started to show up uh, and I went through the process of figuring it out before finding this out. And I expected, we expected that we had at least a couple more months with him, um, if not maybe several. Uh, so when we went to Mexico, it was not in my mind that he would pass while we were gone. I, I guess maybe I wouldn't allow myself to, but I truly just didn't expect it. Yeah. I think we'd said it a couple times, but we just didn't think he was that close. Yeah. Cause he was still swimming every day, multiple times a day, most days still youthful as far as just his general energy and spirits still, you know, an old man, uh, but not too, too old, I suppose. Right. And so when we got that call, it was just like, wait, what? It was like 1030 or 11 o'clock at night when we did yeah. too. Yeah. And it properly, I think this was our fourth night in Mexico and it just flipped everything upside down. Yeah. You know, cause we were already considering, you know, if we leave and he starts to take a downturn, then you or both of us would go home early so that yeah. we could be with him. And we just didn't get that chance. Yeah. And that was certainly initially that, and still, even still, it was so important to me to be with him on his last day and to like share that space with him. And I do, you know, all the last day things you do with your dog. In an ideal world. Yeah. And I mean, I got him right out of college, the summer after college. Uh, and so 12 and a half, like a third of my life is Biggie. And for all intents and purposes, he was my son. A dog, yes, but like my dog's son. All day, every day, pretty much for 12 and a half years, a ride or die homie. Traveled around the country together, flew countless flights shared gratitude in the cockpit of a Southwest flight on Thanksgiving, just like Christmas carols, Christmas over the PA carols speaker with him flights. wearing a, a Santa suit, <laughs> you know, just visiting countless Whole Foods and grocery yeah. stores with your previous gig at Bulletproof. Yeah. He was Bulletproof Biggie, had a shirt living <laughs> for, for a year out of your car, yeah. traveling around. Yeah. So just a lot of life lived with him and well, you know, it's every dog owner's nightmare, but a somewhat imminent one <laughs> perpetually that the dog will pass. It just still seems unreal. And in my mind, it felt like he, oh, he had at least a couple of years, like so well taken care of, all that kind of stuff. And yet it can just happen so quickly for humans too, and dogs in particular. So you get that call. Naturally, I don't really sleep that night. I'm looking through all the pictures, all the videos, and just in the disbelief and grief of it. I mean, we, looking back, it feels like we had our goodbye with him when we were laying on the closet floor. We were packing for Mexico like the night before we left, and Big walked in and laid on the on the furry carpet that's in the closet. And um, for a while you laid there with him, cried with him. And I came in and I sat with you guys for a while and we were just laying in the closet together. Yeah. And in some way that, that 
I felt the significance of that when we were on the floor with him. And I just still didn't want to believe that we were going to lose him in the time that we were gone. Mm -hmm. And then for him to go so quickly as well, you know, since his passing, you've had so many people reflect to you, you know, and since you shared it, you know, publicly, so many people reflect to you their thoughts and feelings and about, you know, like they're losing an, an animal or a pet or what it's like for pets on the other side or things that pets do whenever they decide to pass and all of that. And so I think we've come to some conclusions that feel a bit more peaceful and a bit more at ease Mm -hmm. um, regarding him passing while we were not with him or while you were not with him. Um, But it's still as a cut that's really deep. Yeah. Uh, He just the quick story of how he passed a dog sitter left to go to dinner. Biggie was out laying by the pool, his second love only to his pop and called him in, but he didn't want to come inside, which that's kind of a weird thing. He's he like, kind of never wants to stay outside. Yeah. Unless you're active at the pool with him. Yeah. Then he's down. And so dog sitter left him, went to go get dinner, comes back and he had seemingly peacefully passed laying right by the pool, like a foot from it, just facing it. And uh, the next day, my, my brother, my older brother came and he was very, very close to him as well. It was just intimate throughout his life. And even in some ways more so than you, like kind of his next in line. Yeah. I always joked that Biggie tolerated me. (laughs) Like Biggie's here for Jordan. He just lives with me. Like he tolerates. I always felt like he, if he had a consciousness, I would superimpose this, uh, this thought to him is that he would be like, dad, why is she still around? You know, like he's supposed to be the boys, you know, cause like you're way more fun and he could get away with more things and he could, you know, it's like, I came in and I was like, we're cleaning up shop here. Nah, we're changing this. We're changing that. With you me. can't sleep in the bed. You actually have to sleep outside of the room because you snore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't be in the kitchen. You've got a place, you know, all these things. So And he loved his mama. Yeah, his he mama did. loved him. Yeah. He's so, my first dog. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, that's super beautiful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Lex was not a dog person. Well, I just never grew up with them. Yeah. Never had them, and I had a mom that actively avoided them. So, right, have she still actively avoids them? She's warmed yeah. up too, though. And yeah. Biggie was she has the start of that for her, really. Yeah. Uh, so my brother comes the next day, and it was really challenging for him too because he was already coming the next day to check on him. It's like my boots on the ground, and so he, you know, navigated his own kind of like regret and grief around not going and what would have happened, and that's such a slippery slope and super understandable common thing is the what if as grief sets in the the whole process that is sparked that's a part of it Um, but so grateful for my brother and the dog sitter he was like doggy death doula just how he navigated it which again would was so unexpected on all the levels and so they took him and just honored him in so many ways had him cremated and now we have his ashes on our mantle with the picture. Mm-hmm. And just the week before you had our photographer mm-hmm. come over and do a photo shoot with yeah. him, which was 
his last photo shoot and got some amazing pictures. And I was like resistant to doing that too. Cause I was like, ah, it's kind of silly or we have more time, some, mm-hmm. just all that stuff. And now I'm so glad. I think they're so special. Pictures. They're very special pictures. Especially now. Yeah. Yeah. Not just with his passing, but just with everything that's gone on, you know, cause the whole family's in the, in the photo. Have you ever been too much in your head during sex? like racing thoughts that keep you in your head and out of your body and out of your pleasure is one of the things that goes through your mind, maybe laundry, (laughs) like, is this sex worth messing up the bed or having to strip the sheets and or comforter off to put in the wash afterwards? Well, my friend, I've got just the thing to remedy this conundrum. If that's you, it's called a splash blanket. And it's one of my favorite additions to our sexy toy box. Before playtime, we just lay out our splash blanket and we do our thing without worrying if lube or anything else is getting on my fresh bedclothes underneath. It allows for me to relax and for my husband not to worry if I'm worrying about having to do laundry or scrubbing some sort of fluid off the comforter after we finish. We even travel with our smaller blankets because to us, they represent play, sexiness, and fun. And they keep questionable things off the beds in the Airbnbs we rent. And that's worthy of a five-star review, if you ask me. If this sounds like just the thing to add to your collection, you can visit my favorite place to shop for all sexual wellness products, Yoni Pleasure Palace. Bonus, you can use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, for 15% off your order. And while you're there, why not check out the crystalline glass wands, natural lubricants, and body-safe silicone toys? There's always something new to explore at yonipleasurepalace.com. So, you know, we get that that information and then we have a retreat to run. Yeah. And, and it's just getting started because we had that dinner that night was basically day zero. Then yeah. we had, you know these six couples. And then for the rest of us, there was 11 adults and four children. And then there was all these logistics and just these people were coming and we were doing the retreat at the house that we were staying in for the month. We got there and it's, you know, of course, the middle of the summer. I don't know why we thought differently. I had a feeling it was going to be really hot. I didn't think it was going to be as hot as it was. Very humid. Extremely humid, which I'm not like... I'm from New Orleans and it's extremely humid there, but this was just like another level yeah. of a situation. Um, there was no central AC and specifically in the common, in area, the common yeah. areas, which was um, like well, there wasn't central AC in anywhere in the house. There were little units, you know, little split in the rooms, units which, were in the, fine, which are great, fine. But-, but like our bathrooms were all like kind of outside, half inside, half, half outside, inside, half. Yeah. Hot as shit. Oh, fresco. <laughs> So, and, and everything was just like a breeding ground for mosquitoes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So it was like a situation. We, we had this very pregnant women too. beautiful, (laughs) incredible view of the water of the city and an infinity pool. And so it was just juxtaposed like this mansion of sorts was juxtaposed to like all of the, like this, this like 
unforgivable set of circumstances. <laughs> uh, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. It just feels a little funny to, it, yeah, it feels a little privileged and all that. It does. And yet, but we all, like, we worked on this project for so yeah. long and we all chipped in and put the money towards it and organized the event. Yeah. And like, it was just so much to then get there and like, be like, I'm miserable oh, no. in paradise. Yeah, exactly. I'm miserable in paradise. And, you know, and like, now we have the loss of, of big to deal with. And do we stay? Do we leave? No, we finish this out. The next morning we do a circle with our friends you know, everybody comes around and honors Biggie and honors your relationship with him. And, and so we have like a moment and we also share it with our retreat attendees. Cause most of them are, are, you know, maybe one degree of separation, really close friends, you know, being you and I, we knew the majority, like yeah. more than anyone and we most knew. Of them knew Biggie on some level too. Had met yeah. him. Yeah. And very much consider like our tight core community that we spend the most time with we consider all of the animals a part of the community. We have one of them here. Right now. <laughs> We're dogs. That's sitting. not ours. <laughs> well, when we had Biggie in the house, we couldn't. He, yeah. We alpha, couldn't. No other dogs. We couldn't dog little. sit. Little's barely allowed. <laughs> so his sister. Um, and so now we, we have a dog that he for sure would have eaten. Um <laughs> If we would have tried to bring him into his house. So uh, we have a, a fluffy labradoodle named Otis <laughs> here with us right now. So Little's very happy Otis is here She's though. Stoked. Anyway, um, so we go on to have this retreat and um, I don't know if you want to say any more about Big in the Retreat. I, I just, I'm navigating this grief the whole time. Yeah. And I again, yeah. co-emceeing and I'll just point out here and this theme will continue to present itself the show must go on. We're not going to cancel the retreat because one of the producer's dogs died. That's just the, the reality of the situation. You right. know, I'm not going to disappear. Like what, what good does that do? And it's, you know, I'm not going to go home. What the fuck is home for me? Right. <laughs> Loneliness and, and, and my dead dog. <laughs> right. Right. You know? And before we got this started, you know, I was like so uncomfortable and pregnant in the situation where I'm just like, I need to take breaks. I need to be in the AC. Like I overdid it the first night. I wound up with like a really bad headache. And so I was kind of, before we even went into it, I was like, I'm just going to need you. Like I'm telling you this, <sighs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to need you to help me because this is hard for me being pregnant and this whole dynamic. And then like quickly flip the switch yeah. to no my discomfort needs to just go on a shelf for now because you need me yeah. and I need to step up where like your thoughts are all over the place or, or where whatever's happening for you. And so I need to jump in and direct, Yeah, you know? Um, and so it was just something to navigate for sure. And then in the process, everyone was dropping like flies with Montezuma's <laughs> revenge <laughs> If anyone has traveled and knows what I'm talking about. We had some butthole pirate parasites. Why did you say that? I don't know. It that isn't true. Inspired. You didn't have parasites? Whatever. I don't know. Do you know in what bacteria. it was? Bacteria. Something was going on in our tum tums. Traveler's diarrhea. Spraying out of our bum bums. <laughs> <laughs> Could you stop? <laughs> Never. All right. So anyway, people were people were just like getting sick kind of over and over like we were just hearing everyone, you know, yeah, um, coming down with the sickness. Um, and you were one of those people. And yeah. so like, here you are, sad grief, hosting, and 
like we didn't I didn't have a thermometer to check you if you had fever like but officially but you had yeah. I'm pretty sure you had fever you had chills yeah. and you just couldn't keep anything down and it was you were not it wasn't exclusive to you it was lots of people including yeah. the producers it was mostly the women that didn't have any issues I don't know but why. we were also being really really careful like not eating any produce that was washed in the water if it was raw, even if it was like a ceviche, we didn't eat it. There was just like, there was a lot of things that we were not soft cheeses. They were just like, that could be a bearer of bad news. So we're going to avoid it. So like that was also happening in the, in the midst of all this too. So we feel complete. Yeah. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is, you know, as we're hosting this experience and all this is happening personally, I'm between everything, going down to the room and just crying, writing a little bit, calling my dad, my mom, friends, siblings, people that are close to me that Biggie was close with. Just so weird to navigate all that, like holding all of that simultaneously because I was still having a good time too in Mexico, even with all the challenges you're describing, hosting retreat up love hosting events. We're so good at it. And it's so fulfilling and we're playing cross net. And we had know. a lot of problem solving and that's always fun. Yeah. So it was, it was a spectrum uh, and the spectrum continues yeah. with part two yeah. of the 11 part story. <laughs> no, it's more like a three part story. Yeah, three parts. Um, so before I shift into kind of like, what's the next news? Um, what would you say you learned about yourself like having that experience because like looking at you and and knowing you, you'd never felt anything like that before. You know, you had not experienced anything like that before. And I'm curious what you would, yeah. How you'd answer that question. Yeah. I had never experienced grief truly before that. Even my grandma passing a couple of years ago, I guess maybe a few years ago now, grandma was like a second mother to me. I lived with her for a couple of years in high school. She was pastor alongside my papa, my grandpa at a church uh, for like 30 years. She was a trailblazer, very much the matriarch of my family. And I was very sad when she passed, but it wasn't grief like this. It was sadness. I wouldn't call it grief. This, because this being completely depended on me for well over a decade. And I grew up and in so many ways became a man in response to being his dog owner. It was just so so deep of a wound. And so I'm typically not a crier, as you know, it's just not that I don't try to, or I'm not open to it. Just it's not something that's super accessible to me, generally speaking. And this past month I have cried more than my entire life combined by far. Uh, And so I'm grateful for the depth of feeling like what that's unlocked within me. It's I've heard it said something along the lines of that is equal to the amount of love I felt, the amount of grief and sadness and tears and all that is the, the other side, so to speak of the love. And so I think the greatest thing I've learned about myself though, is I can keep my shit together when it's necessary, while also feeling, for the most part, what must be felt. And it feels like just my life's training, our relationship, all the things have very much prepared me and given me the skills, tools, resources, capacity to be able to manage all this stuff. And I'm really proud of that and grateful for it. 
Yeah. Sweet. You're sweet. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. So our retreat ended and we had, I think about a week. Yep. It was a few days after the retreat had ended when, so we're going to shift and give a little bit of baby news and baby update for this part of the, of the story. And I don't think I mentioned this in, in the one where I said Gabriel's name, but we, so I'm like, where do I want to start with this? But I'm, but I'm going to be quick, just like give a little bit of the, the backstory. So, you know, many of you know that I had, that we went through miscarriage. It was early miscarriage. And now I even like prefer to call it early miscarriage because now that I've gotten further along in the journey, like I understand early miscarriage versus late miscarriage versus, you know, second trimester. Like I, they all get kind of classified a little bit differently. And so we experienced early miscarriage um, at the end of 2022. It was October, 2022. And after, you know, out of all of my friends and and a lot of community, uh, but mostly just like my close, my close knit community, I was the only one who had experienced something like that. And that brought a certain level of anxiety into the next pregnancy and trying again, I will say. And with that, part of how I coped was, you know, just kind of psyching myself up to the next milestone, next milestone, the next milestone. So the first is check on, you know, you get the the positive pregnancy test. Well, step one is have sex in the fertile window. Come on. And then the next is like, get the positive pregnancy test. Okay, great. Then I was, you know, testing and watching the stick get darker. I'm like, okay, so, you know, we have the HCG, which is the blood test. So seeing the number double over every other day. And then it's okay. Getting an early scan because I'd had a miscarriage before they brought me in for an early scan. Okay. And then we see it. There's a little dot pregnant. Okay. Come back in a few weeks, confirmation of pregnancy. We've got a beating heart. We had a beating heart from six weeks and got a beating heart and a little tadpole at nine weeks. And so then it's like, okay, but the chances of miscarrying go significantly down at 12 weeks. So then it's okay. And then, that, then that's the next thing that I'm, I'm, I can't wait until, you know, what's the next milestone. One of the milestones is typically at around 10 weeks. If you choose to do this, a blood test, which is a non-invasive prenatal testing, um, it's a screening for chromosomal abnormalities and genetic. Just if I have things that I could potentially pass to my children on the genetic front. If I test positive for them, then they would test Jordan so that we would determine if it's absolutely going to show up in babies or not. Um, So it's around that 10 week mark that you have the NIPT or the NIPS done and it's a screening. So it's non-invasive, meaning they're not poking and prodding at the baby and they're not, you know, putting any needles or doing anything to, the womb or the uterus or any of that. So it's just in the blood. So I actually had that blood draw done at that time. And I wound up getting my genetic screening personally, but I didn't get any information for the baby. And I kept thinking, wow, this lab is taking a really long time to get me back this information. I don't understand why it's taking so long for my NIPT results to come in. It's supposed to take about a week, right? Something like yeah, that. up to even even with the lab taking a long time. And so I didn't understand why I, you know, then we got to the 12 week scan and 
he was good. You know, everything looked, or maybe it wasn't 12 week. We got to 20 week. Sorry. I didn't have a 12 week. I had the nine week and then had the blood draw. And then I was waiting until the 20 week. Sorry. There was no 12 week scan. What was that thing with your mom? 20 week. No, because we were. Uh, So it's called air air quotes. It's the 20 week scan. It's the anatomy scan. Anatomy scan. (laughs) All right. Okay. Is everyone good? We're all on the same page now. (laughs) We're going to do a a six week and nine week. And then the anatomy scan, which is, which was right after 18 weeks. Cool. So I kept just like thinking, you know, this, this test result hasn't come back. I don't know why I let like six weeks go by and I'm like, what is the deal here? How come I haven't heard anything? So probably 14, 15 weeks, I email the lab and the lab sends me this like scary generic email. That's like, you need to contact your physician for more information about these results. And I'm like, I don't understand. Okay. So then I contact physician and they're like, oh, the lab threw out your blood. They thought you gave the blood at the wrong time. And so they dismissed it. The lab asks the clinic to redraw my blood. They forget to tell me. So many weeks have gone by now, more than a month going into a month and a half has passed since when I actually did this blood draw. So I go, okay, maybe I won't do it because my anatomy scans right around the corner. We're kind of looking for the same markers. Maybe I won't do it. My physician kind of, she, she more or less encourages, we want this information. You might as well do it. You're already in the process. We've already ordered it. So I go back to the clinic to get my blood drawn. Again, this is around the 16 week mark. They poke me three times. The new tech can't get blood. It's like the first time in my whole life that someone who's trying to draw my blood can't get any. I leave. I cry in the car. (laughs) I'm just like so frustrated with the whole process. I also think around this time I was sick and just kind of coming out of first trimester, going into second trimester, I was starting to feel a little bit better, but was still was sick with a respiratory infection and having all this stuff going on. I had a retreat. And so it was just like fucked up. I host the retreat and then I come back and we're now pushing towards like 17, 18 weeks. And we get the lab to, I get the lab to come, or maybe you help me with this. I think you help me with this, um, to come to the house to draw the blood, to draw my blood. So it's, I think on the day of 18 weeks, she comes and draws the blood at the house. And my mom's here at that time because this is around the time when we're doing the anatomy scan. So I'm like, okay, we're just fine. Take my blood. We're in it. Let's do this. Then we go for our anatomy scan. And um, the anatomy scan was lovely. Yeah. We had, you know, our the doctor tech. was awesome. This is the first time we had. No, we never met him. Oh, we didn't that time. That's no, right. Well, we we'll just saw later. the ultrasound tech. Yep. She was fine. Mm-hmm. She found all his pieces and parts. There was nothing wrong with him. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with him. Like, you know, five fingers, five, five toes on all the hands and all the feet. Yeah. And he didn't have any markers for issues, you know, for chromosomal abnormalities or anything like that. He had no soft markers. Yeah. You know, that's a, again, a screening, not a diagnostic test. So we had our anatomy scan and then that's actually when we went to like right after that was when we went to Mexico. Uh-huh. So a few days, our little dog is in here with us and she's snoring. And I know y'all probably can't hear her, but we absolutely can. (laughs) And my wife does not do well with noises. I know. I don't know how I just had to have her too. 
She's laying so cutely, though. <laughs> Is cutely a word? I think so. Oh, thank you, little. No. Okay. okay. So, yeah, it's a few days after. So, that's the whole story of this test and all of that. So, I should have, in theory, I should have gotten my test results for this in first trimester. I should have gotten them, you know, around 11, around weeks. 11 weeks. And now we're at, at this point, 18 to 19 weeks. Now we're at almost 20. Yeah. Okay. Slash we're at 20 because yeah. we got there, Pat, we were 19 when we got there. It's been a week. Yep. So at 20 weeks, I finally get a call from my doctor. No, from- remember you re- you had to reach out again. I did. Yes. Probably. I'm like, when am I getting these results? Yes. Yes. Because yeah. So I wind up getting a call back from the doctor and um, she's been on vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's why she had, because again, you should have gotten them a week, a week after later. taking it. And now we're at two weeks and you yes. still haven't heard anything. I so you reach out anything. and then she responds. With, yeah. So I get a, she leaves a message. She's like, I wanted to make sure that you got these test results. I didn't know if you got them yet. I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole situation. And the thing is that everything that has had to do with pregnancy up to that point was just very straightforward. Go to the appointments, get the information, do what I need to do. It's been all pretty straightforward. Why was this so upside down? This one test, this one thing. And so she finally, you know, I, I see I've got a missed call from her. I call her back and she says, Is your husband there? And my heart just immediately like skipped a beat. So I'm like, You only want my husband here if you're about to give bad news. And so I frantically get Jordan to come to the room so that I can call her back so that we're both there. And I call her back. And then she goes on to tell us that we tested positive for, or the baby tested positive for trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome. And that it's a 75% likelihood. So he tested positive and the test is 75% sure. So she goes on to tell us this and then says, I really wish I were giving you better news. I'm sorry. And I'm trying not to panic. And we basically like, that's all the information she can give to us. So she just shares, you know, you can get an amniocentesis or, you know, she kind of like threw it a couple things. And then she, I guess, uncomfortably just goes, you know, and Down syndrome people, they live long and happy lives and they have great temperament and personalities and all these things. And I'm like, okay, 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 back up. We don't know if we're in the 75% or the 25%. And I don't understand how this information is supposed to feel receiving it, but I need to get off the phone. Yeah. So we hang up. And not so, on her. We say goodbye. Yeah. Now we said, fuck off. See you never. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, she's lovely. Truly. All of our healthcare providers have been truly lovely. And we won't go back to that clinic. We won't. We won't. Uh, so there's two pieces I want to point out here. One is what you just spoke to, which is this whole set of circumstances was unacceptable and really shitty. And we navigated some serious anger and like resentment around that. I would say we're at this point mostly over it. And so that's the one side of it. Just the very human aspect is like WTF at every turn, there was just fudge ups. And 
Resistance. And resistance. Now you're getting into the the other side of it, the maybe more spiritual component, if you will. And it felt like, especially just looking at all this in hindsight, this resistance was so uncanny that it could be considered synchronicities and God, if that tickles your fancy. And, or just God. Yeah. According God. to some of our friends. And that's how I chose at the time and still very much see it as this was all meant to happen. And this is, I think, an important time to own, call out, uh, acknowledge. Had we gotten this information at 11 weeks, as opposed to getting it at 20 weeks, a little over, right around 20 weeks, the decision might have been different. Our next course of action. Yeah. We still would have gone for confirmatory testing. Yes. And then if confirmatory testing would have said, yes, it's, he's for sure going to have downs, then we may have considered other options. Yeah. One of them being not to continue the pregnancy. Termination, abortion, whatever language you want to use. And and that's not to say we would have chosen it because no. it's theoretical. Yeah. And let me just, I want to unpack this a little bit because I think okay. this is a very important part of the story. So for me... I've maybe talked about this at some point on the podcast, and I certainly have here and there in various places. In college, uh, or maybe it was right after college, I a previous partner got pregnant, and she got an abortion. And at that time, I was very much in the... I grew up with religious influences, and abortion is the cardinal sin. Uh, right up there with homosexuality. Those <laughs> are like the two big dogs. That you experienced growing up. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Just to be clear, I don't believe that, but that was very much, I was conditioned in that way to believe those things. But at that point, post-college, I was in the kind of uncertainty of it is I still think and believe this, but is that what I actually think and believe? Or is this just so ingrained in me that I've adopted it because of that? So in that uncertainty and I'll say immaturity, I really abdicated responsibility around making the decision and being a part of the decision-making process and allowed my partner at the time to go move forward with what she felt strongly about. And I always felt regret around not necessarily decision itself, yes, some, but more so my immaturity in that decision-making process. And so bringing it now back to the more current with our experience, it felt like an opportunity for reclamation in a sense for myself personally. And I don't know what decision we would have made at 11 weeks. I still think we would have kept him and I don't know. But that aside, what makes this interesting is that we didn't have that opportunity. We were not presented with that reality. The reality that was given to us, and I believe very much divinely so, was we found this out at 20 weeks. We had developed a very especially you, intimate relationship with our baby boy. We had seen multiple ultrasounds, Doppler heartbeats at the house, and big him. old belly, you could feel him. Uh, so at 20 weeks, it's not even really something that's in consideration. It's just acceptance of this unexpected thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy because when I think if we would have gotten the, the the information, like how would that have potentially change things if we got it, you know, much sooner. And it's all theory and speculation. You know, it's like, maybe we would have, maybe we wouldn't have, but I know if we are to get that information in the future, I know what we will choose. Yeah. And I just want to say one more thing on this. 
why I'm grateful for this, one of many pieces, but just a particularly potent one is I was in a sense forced to put my money where my mouth is, where I particularly in this the past one to two years have really settled into a conviction that I don't personally agree with abortion. You don't, don't want it for yourself. That's what I'm saying for yeah. myself. Yeah. Legal regulation stuff. That's a completely different conversation. And med- medical, that. all yeah. of that is you're just talking I'm about. I'm saying for me personally yeah. and for our, for me and you as husband and wife yeah. and the family that we're creating, that's not something that yeah, is that you want that I want, uh, and we don't need to unpack more. And you'll of that, stand, but just... and you'll and you'll stand for that belief. And I think you understand that it's this, it's still essentially my decision what to do with my body. Totally. But we are in this yes. union together. Yeah. What I think we're trying to showcase here, and just like saying all this stuff, is that this is a just is like heavily nuanced and complicated <laughs> and layered. Yeah. Kind of discussion. And if we would have gotten you have a 75% chance or whatever percent chance of having one of the other abnormalities. It's different for sure. And the baby's not likely to live past, you know, a couple hours or a couple days, or you might get a year, but the baby will not do all these things in a test tube. You know, I'm I'm using, that's a metaphorically speaking, like he will live in a hospital with all kinds of challenges and like surgeries and interventions and will be like kind of more or less kept alive for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Was that a weird thing to say? Test, test tube? tube refers to in vitro. Oh, does it? well, I didn't like a test, like a, like a tube where you're like a okay. science tube, but I know what you mean. Okay. You gave me a side eye. Like I said some really messed up no, stuff. Okay. I, no, I just in my brain. Anyway, it's fine. But yeah, so that would have been different. That would have been different. But we're getting the possibility of something at this point and baby lives. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's different. There is a quality of life potential. And yep. the fact that we had no soft markers show up on our anatomy scan, that gave us hope that maybe it wasn't actually right. Yeah. And so we immediately shifted gears into deciding, do we need to get back home? What's going on? What are we do? Like, are we choosing, you know, cause when we, when we got that information, I immediately was like, I was thrown into, I don't even know like what to say first. It like part of me needed to just go through the process of what if we don't, what if we don't have this baby? Because all of the logic and the control and the, all of the things that like, I thought that this was supposed to look like and supposed Mm -hmm. to be like, and where we are at in our lives. And we'd had conversations prior to getting pregnant about what if we find out and it's like, we don't, you know, have the resources and the stability in some regard. And I am, you know, more or less the like leader in the, the face of our brand and, as you know, like where we're at now compared mm. to, you know, who knows where we'll be in the future. But like for me to stop working because I have to take care of a special needs child, like we just panic, it's a lot. panic, 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 dependent child for our whole lives, potentially, you know, all these things that I th- like, that's all of the like logical stuff. And then I was swung into, and everything I thought that my child was going to do and be an experience in the world is just not going to happen potentially. And if it does, cool. It just doesn't look the way great. It just doesn't look the way that I have been 
imagining and dreaming and visioning. And it just like, we went from grieving Biggie and processing that and me supporting you to, oh, holy shit, we got to go over here now and process this information. The very next week. So we had kind of an emergency conversation with our maternal fetal medicine doctor, the same place we went for our anatomy scan. We ultimately decided to get on a plane and I want to kind of speed up our story a little bit, but we ultimately decided to get on a plane like the next day. And before we even got on the plane, we had a conversation with our community. Which I was just going to say, that's important to know because the role of community in this whole experience and story is everything. Yeah. Okay. So before we decided to hop on a plane and go in for an appointment, we sat down with everyone in a circle Yeah. in one of the air conditioned rooms <laughs> on couch cushions. Yeah. And had like a council and had a council because yeah. we needed to know like, what would you, what would you do? And we had another person very pregnant there and multiple children. So, and these are our closest couples friends that we've talked about many times on the podcast. And I got to ask the question, like if you were in this before you got pregnant, what was your conversation like about this subject? Mm -hmm. If you were to get this information, how likely were you, do you think you would be to getting the diagnostic test, which is an amniocentesis? There's a needle that's put into into the belly and then some amniotic fluid is removed into little vials and those vials go get tested to see if the chromosome abnormality is actually present and how much and where is it and all that. That's a more definitive diagnostic test. It's like yeah, 99.9% versus screening. accuracy. Yeah. So the screening's like, we can tell you it's probably 75% sure. And then the amniocentesis is 99%. Though there's there's a lot of people that are out there in the world that say their amnio was wrong too. Yeah. So it really just depends. Granted, that one, it's it's kind of like vast majority. If you get this information via amnio, this is, you can count on it happening. But anyway, we sat in a circle and I got to ask and you got to ask questions of everybody and hear their reflections. And, you know... I even ask questions like, knowing what you know of me, what would you think the best decision would be for me? Because my mind was just swirling. And do I take this risk? Is it more important that I know if the baby has Down syndrome so that I can prepare for it? Because I'm just not, I know some of you might be shocked to hear this, but probably not. I'm just not one of those kinds of people that can get this. It's a 75% chance and then go- And we'll see. And then go another four and a half months of not knowing- to then get a birth diagnosis. I consider, I weighed all of the options. Is the amount of stress and anxiety, is that going to outweigh the ability to have a peaceful remainder of pregnancy? Or if I know the information, will that then give me the peace? Like, will that allow me to make peace with what's happening? Yeah. And we ultimately decided that that is best. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to find out at birth. Mm -hmm. So, and we wanted to prepare, you know? So- And we, we wanted- our community, yeah, like we are all in on each other. Yeah. Like that was the whole premise of this trip as part of this long-term desire to live life together fully in like all the biggest ways. And yeah. so this unfolding was very relevant to them. And so yeah. we were having that conversation too. It was beautiful. It was like a couple hours of just digging into this stuff and all the nuances. And it was so important and special. Yeah, it was. And they we're very considerate with wanting to make sure that we felt supported no matter what we decided to yeah. do, whether we decided to have the amnio, whether we decided to terminate, whether we decided to keep yeah. and continue the pregnancy. And, and it was in that feeling of everyone, you know, I was still very sensitive to the information, but everyone's saying like, no matter what you choose to do, 
if you do, like we love you. And if you choose to bring this baby into the world, we are all a yes. And that was just so sweet. Very sweet. And so we decided, now I can jump to, we decided to get on a plane basically the next day. They were able to schedule us in. So we flew back to Austin and that was a very sad moment because we, we flew back to Austin and got home and big wasn't here. So that was very sad. And we had one night at home and then the next morning went to our appointment and yeah. So this is where the part one will wrap up. Thanks for listening to part one of our story. The rest of our story will be released in two more parts. Jordan and I really wanted to do the story justice by telling it in full because so much of it was a whirlwind for us that we know in some way many of our listeners will relate to. Maybe not to the specifics of our experience, but can relate to how much can change so quickly and how truly precious life is. I want to thank you for being so kind and gracious to me and to my family while we navigate grief and the unexpected our close friends, family, our online community, and podcast listeners have shown up for us in ways we couldn't have imagined. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you're curious about how to more directly support, or if you'd like to read my version of the story in full, you can do so by heading to the link in my bio on my Instagram page. Stay tuned for parts two and three coming soon. I love you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.